Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... I think we have to ask ourselves right out of the box, is that how I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus in that way? And I'm not talking about some weird Jesus experience, but do I know him? Can he speak to me? Am I willing to hear him? When I hear him, am I stiff-necked and objecting to him? Or do I know that he loves me because he gave his life for me? And do I say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. Pastor Jim reminds us in his message today that Jesus wants to talk with us. The question is, however, are we receptive to hearing from Jesus? We can cultivate a relationship with him that allows for this. If we have the kind of relationship with Jesus in which we make space for him and spend time getting to know him better through the Bible and prayer, then we will have made ourselves available to hear from him. We then have another choice. Will we listen to what he has to say to us? With that in mind, Here's Pastor Jim with part one of his message entitled, Joyful Knowledge. For now, I guess for people into such great technology things, it's a temporary satisfaction. And there are many temporary satisfactions in this life, right? Things that we think that we have to have. The geniuses of temporary satisfaction are the guys who make the info commercials that are on at 2 a.m. They, they manage to convince your sleep-deprived body that you need what they're selling. They provide temporary satisfaction, temporary happiness, and maybe, maybe some temporary satisfactions are okay, and I have found that most of them are empty, but some of them, well, they can kind of move into escapes, right? And then when they move from escapes, sometimes they move into addictions, and that which seemed not to be that big a deal at some point in time, all of a sudden, if we're honest, we have to say it's become quite dangerous in my life. And how interesting that this stuff is not new to our generation. God comes along and says, I would like to not just take away those temporary satisfactions. I would like to replace those satisfactions. I would like to replace those addictions. I would like to replace those things that you're thinking is going to make you happy. And I'm going to replace them with myself, God says. I'm going to give you the opportunity to know me, God says. I'm going to give you the opportunity to enjoy me. The Apostle Paul is writing here to a church in a place called Philippi in northern Greece. He was the founder of the church. He founded the church about 10 years earlier. It's about 30 years after Jesus has risen from the dead and and gone back to heaven. And the Apostle's in jail. And he's heard about some things that are going on in the church that he founded. So he's writing a letter back to them. But we learn about this man, the Apostle Paul, a rather unique man, that he valued Jesus Christ more than his own freedom. He valued Jesus Christ more than anything else that this world could offer. And he is a joyful man in the midst of such incredible difficulty. 
I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. The Roman Empire said he was turning the world upside down. We might think he was turning the world right side up. He's going around, he's preaching about Jesus. People who hated Jesus all of a sudden start following Jesus. They're like, what in the world happened to these people? And other people are saying, let's arrest the guy. And they arrest him, they beat him up, they let him out. And what does he do? He goes, tells more people. And look back with me at verse 8. He was talking about his religion and all the religious sacraments and sacrifices and duties that he had done. And he said, it's not that they were wrong in doing them. He did them with the wrong heart. They were signs. Instead of looking at what they pointed to, he was thinking they were a means to an end. He says, yet indeed I also count, the idea is I'm still counting. He's been a Christian for 30 years now and he's still counting all things loss. He's throwing overboard his religious accomplishments, maybe his iPhone 6 Plus, for the excellence of, look what he says here, the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. We said last week that's really how our American Bible, our English Bibles clean it up. The word is dung. That's a big pile of manure. He says, my religious achievements were a big pile of manure or a big pile of garbage, kind of like a a landfill, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. He's saying, I'm no longer telling everybody I'm a good person. I went to church. I did all my sacraments. He says, I'm not doing that anymore. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And the righteousness from God. What is righteousness? Well, essentially, it is who God is. And so he says, I've now attained the righteousness, but I got it of God, and I, but I got it from God. And so all of these things that he had done before, he considered to be worthless. And so we said last week, he tossed his own righteousness overboard, putting his faith in Jesus. Now, we have to understand faith in American culture is, well, my head, I believe in Jesus. He seemed like a good guy, you know? But faith in the Bible is a, is a total dependence upon. Faith in the Bible is a total trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul would tell us it went something like this. You know, when I, when I came to believe in Jesus, if you're taking notes, you might want to just jot down Acts chapter 9. You can read about that story. When I came to trust in Jesus, God gave me his righteousness. It came from the outside of me and into me. It was a foreign righteousness. And he would say, and then when he did that, because I had that righteousness from God, his words, not mine, he brought me into a right relationship with God. And the apostle says it right here. I read it. No disputing. He wrote it. He said, and I came to know him. And so the title of this morning's message is Joyful Knowledge. And as the Apostle Paul would tell you, this knowledge of Jesus far surpasses any temporary satisfaction, any temporary solution that the world might offer. Look at verse 10. He says, that I may know him. Now, notice he didn't say that I may know about him. That's very important. You can't know someone unless you know about them, right? You know, if I, my, my lovely wife is here and I, I said, you know, you know, I know her. I haven't been home in eight years, but I know her, right? 
You know, and I'm not talking about someone who's deployed or something like that, or, but, but if I'm choosing not to know her, I don't really know much about her. So it's important to know about Jesus, but that is not knowing him. So trusting in Jesus, receiving this righteousness from God, makes it possible for you and I to know Jesus Christ. So how, you say, what does that mean to know him? Uh, well, quite simply, let's just put it this way, to know him personally and experientially. So I think we have to ask ourselves right out of the box, is that how I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus in that way? And I'm not talking about some weird Jesus experience, but do I know him? Can he speak to me? Am I willing to hear him? When I hear him, am I stiff-necked and objecting to him? Or do I know that he loves me because he gave his life for me? And do I say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. I would liken this experience to turning a light on in a room. You know, when a light's out, you can't see anything, but you might think you know where you're going. And then all of a sudden, you find the light switch, and, and you realize you're trying to brush your teeth at the dresser in your bedroom. <laughs> and so the light goes on, you now can see things you couldn't see before when it comes to Jesus. You understand things that you couldn't understand before because the righteousness from God has been given to you because you put your faith and trust in God and now the Lord opens up a whole new world to you. And so the Lord, when you trust in him, counts you as righteous. You Bible students, we call that imputed righteousness. He counts you as being righteous. But he also gives or imparts righteousness St. Paul told the Galatians that the Spirit of God comes to live in the heart of anyone who believes. So thus, as a result of this, someone who's trusted in Jesus, and that's, see, we use the word believe, but, but, but the way the Bible uses it is more our word trust. We're enabled to know Jesus Christ, and when we know Jesus Christ, I think the response is pretty obvious, when you realize, we meet people out on the streets and we'll say to them, you know, can you tell me something about Jesus? Inevitably, you'll get this answer. Uh, a few people will say he's a good teacher, but most people will say he died on the cross for our sins. And I'll say to people, well, could you explain to me what that means? And very few people can. If you want to go to the head of the class, it means that Jesus died instead of me. Jesus took the punishment instead of me. Very few people can say that, but if when you realize that, when you think about the cross and you think that should have been me, that love is so supreme and so amazing, it produces a life of, of gratitude. It produces a life of dependence upon him. It produces a, a discipline of what we call the, the means of grace. You, you start to read your Bible more, even though you don't always understand it all the time. You, you pray, you talk to God in your, in your car. You come to church because you want to know more about him. You become oddly more generous. And, and, and strangely enough, you start to care about people 
that you didn't really do before. And what happens, these things, is our opinion about Jesus, it sort of leaves us and it moves into the knowledge of Jesus, but that knowledge moves from our head into our hearts and it becomes what I would call an intimate love and relationship with God. And so I want to ask you today, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, I just want you to be honest with yourself. Do you think of him that way? Do you think of God that way? Can you say that this is an honest relationship of, of love? What would it look like? Well, it would be seen in the way we live, right? It would be seen in the way that we love. It would be seen in the way we worship. Well, why is that? Because this gift that God has given us, this righteousness which is from God, is beginning to take root in our lives. It's beginning to mean something. And Jesus is making us more like him, although I'll tell you the process is painfully slow. You see, in the Bible, we can't say we know something until it's part of the way we live. A lot of times somebody says to you, you know, I asked you to do this and you need to do this and you haven't done this yet. And you go, I know. And the Bible says you don't know. Until it becomes part of your life, you don't know. And we can't say that we know someone if it's not personal. It has to become personal. In fact, the sexual union in the Bible is often described as knowing someone. And the same is true with Jesus. It is a personal union. It is, if you will, a, a daily coming home. You know, my home, where I live, I turn onto my cul-de-sac, and it is not defined by my house. It's defined as the little green rav in the driveway. Because that means Pam is home. And that's what home is. It's just a building. I could be home anywhere. Because home is the relationship that exists. I love here he writes in verse 10, he says, that I may know him. Here's a guy, greatest theological mind that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. And after 30 years of being a follower of Jesus Christ, what does he say? I want to know him more. I want to know him more. I am never afraid that I'm going to know it all about Jesus. When I hear people say they know it all about Jesus, you know what I say all the time? They don't even know him at all. They know nothing about him. Because here's a guy who knows more than anybody. He's a Bible writer and he's saying, I want to know more. There is so much more to know about Jesus. And this is the way it should be in a marriage. And it should be this way in our faith. A deep desire to know Jesus better. And this was the driving force in the Apostle Paul's life. This is how joy in jail was not only possible, but it was his reality. You would meet him and you wouldn't go, you know, it's just a bum deal about what's going on with you here, Paul. You know, it's just not right. He would say, oh, no, the Lord is using it. I've been telling every guard that's come in here about Jesus. People in the prison are coming to believe. I actually sat down and writing some letters. <laughs> Little did he know that we would be reading them and studying them word by word thousands of years later. 
Like many people here, that desire to know Jesus more energized his devotion to Jesus and fueled his desire to tell others. We're either fueled or we're not to tell people about Jesus. We either love the things that God loves or we don't. You know the story of the prodigal son, most of us know that. and It's in the middle of a great chapter of, of lost things. You know, God loves lost things. Something about finding things that are lost. I was looking for the headset for my cell phone. My wife found it. It's clean now because it went through the laundry. <laughs> and I love finding something lost, but it doesn't work anymore. But when God finds lost things, they work even better than when they did before. When he washes things and cleans them up, they're way better than they ever could have been in the first place. You know, I believe in church in our country today, we're missing a big part of knowing Jesus by limiting it to what some people call a personal relationship. Please don't get me wrong, I totally believe in that. But, you know, I think it's a limiting term because in the Bible, in the Word of God, knowing God is also being aware of His will. It's being willing and available to obey His will. With His help, of course. Being yielded to Him. You know, when you're a pastor, you see things in people. You, you see people who are in just terrible marriages, sadly. And you see one person saying, you know, I'm hanging in there because I believe this is what the Lord has for me. And, you know, you might think, I'm thinking like, oh, those people are messed up. I so admire that. Just available to obey. You see, being a Christian is not just going to church. It's just not feeling something about God. It's not something experiencing something about God. But it's like the apostles model for us walking in Jesus' way. Following Jesus where he would take us. So you say, how can I get there? How can I get there? This is one of the longest introductions I've ever done to a sermon in a long time. Some of you are like, I was hoping it was done. <laughs> well, some people take notes, and the first thing is, if you want to get there, you must be empowered by the risen Christ. Empowered by the risen Christ. Look, verse 10 still, he says, that I may know him. That has to be a deep passion. And, look what he says here, the power of his resurrection. So he says, I want to know him, but I also want to have his power, the power of his resurrection. Now, in a minute, the apostle Paul is going to talk about Jesus suffering in death. But isn't it unusual that he talks about Jesus' resurrection before he talks about his death? Well, Jesus died before he, you're thinking, oh, he's just got the order mixed up. No, he's doing it for us. You say, well, what, what, makes you, what makes you think that? Because for someone who is a Christian, and what, but let's call them a committed follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not one of those people, I'm so glad that you're here. I didn't become one until much later in life. Almost 30 years old. And so for someone who's a Christian, resurrection power comes before physical death. It comes first. That is the first experience of truly being a Christian, of being what the Bible calls a new creation in Christ, of what the Bible refers to as a new life in Christ. 
if you're not a follower of Jesus, are you tired? Honestly, are you tired? Do you find yourself really, at the end of the day, if you were honest with yourself, I'm fighting with God and it's killing me. I'm exhausted. I can tell you from experience, you won't win. <laughs> how does a new life start? How does a new fresh start sound? How does that sound to you? You see, we talk in the Bible about something called conversion. Interesting. Conversion, we think of, well, I converted so I could get married in their church. That's not the Bible's talking of conversion at all. Conversion in the Bible is a resurrection from the spiritually dead to the spiritually alive. I remember one time talking to a young woman. I was talking to her about Jesus, and, and she said to me, well, I just want to let you know, you can't convert me. And because I'm a geeky pastor, I said, very theologically astute of you. <laughs> because you can't convert anyone. Only God can bring that which is dead to life. Now, this encourages me, this resurrection power, because no matter what happens to any Christian, that power is already in us. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? This word power is similar to our word dynamite. And it was this dynamite that rose Jesus from the dead. It's this power that makes us a new creation. It destroys the penalty for sin. Jesus took it on the cross, but for us it also destroys the power of sin in our lives, and we actually have the power to obey God. And it is this power that enables us to experience the love of Jesus. It is this power that enables us to walk in the power of Jesus, to rejoice. It gives us strength. It gives us endurance. Oh, and how different than the apostles' thinking is than our world's thinking. He doesn't want the power to rule. He wants the power to obey. And he ties it in to knowing Jesus. Please don't get the wrong idea about what it means to obey. You know, they accused Jesus of hanging out with the wrong crowd. He loved the sinners and tax collectors. And I'm a pastor... And I have to be honest with you, sometimes I feel more comfortable out in the streets with people cursing than I do at some of the pastor meetings I go to. I'm just not that. Colossians 1, you don't even have to turn there, it's just on the next page. Verse 9 through 14, he's, he's been talking, another letter of the Apostle Paul, been talking about the faith and love and the spirit of the God's people that the Colossians had for one another, the people in the city of Colossae. And he says, verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. When's the last time you put patience and suffering and joy in the same sentence? 
Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Saints are just the set-apart people of God who have the righteousness from God. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, the word of God knows nothing of a gloomy faith that wants to sit in a tower and not experience the joys of life. The Bible knows nothing of a gloomy faith that wants to die because this life is just a complete waste of time. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love Radio, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. We are excited that you joined us today, and we hope and pray that you will join us again next time as we continue to learn more about Jesus verse by verse in the book of Philippians. If you would like a copy of today's message on CD, simply contact us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills at 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the copy of the correct teaching. You can also write us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or send an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. Don't worry if you haven't been able to write that information down. Simply log on to www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you'll find all the information to listen to this message again or receive your own copy. You can also give securely to help Changed by Love Radio share the good news of Jesus Christ. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of Philippians. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time here on Changed by Love.